This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, this is The Breakfast Grill and I'm Philip C. Now today's guest is His Excellency Syed Hassan Raza Shah, High Commissioner of Pakistan to Malaysia, as we have a broad-ranging conversation from geopolitics and Pakistan's place in the world. Good morning, Your Excellency. We have a lot to cover today. I hope you're keeping well. Yeah, thank you very much. Good morning to you and to all your listeners. It's wonderful to be here this morning and let's, I look forward to the conversation. Yes, let's just start with the economy, right? Because can you shed some light in terms of the current economic situation in Pakistan? Yes, unfortunately, over the past uh, couple of years, we have been facing some economic challenges uh, and uh, we were forced to uh, get the uh, invoke the IMF into it. We have had long negotiations with the IMF, uh, but uh, thankfully, the agreement has been reached and uh, I think... Uh, we are now on the road to recovery with the IMF's assistance. But of course, IMF is, as Malaysians know more than anybody else, IMF is not the solution to your economic problems and economic challenges. You have to take strong, difficult uh, Mm. domestic decisions, and that is what the Pakistani government, the state of Pakistan, understands. And I think we have to tighten our belt and and uh, helps ourselves uh, on the path yeah. to recovery, as Malaysia has done so well over the years. Yes, I think Malaysia has had also, uh, you know, a very interesting relationship with the IMF. I mean, just to recap, you've had 23 bailouts from the IMF, right, in Pakistan's history, right? And the concern is that, as you say, we it's really the time now to make all these very tough challenges and difficult decisions, isn't it? Because we need this debt trap cycle to end. That is correct. And I think a country like Pakistan, and uh, uh, we can learn a lot from Malaysia. Malaysia, as uh, some of your listeners might know and some might not know, is uh, is uh, very well known in Pakistan, is uh, the Malaysian leadership. Uh, the country of Malaysia is held in very high esteemed in pa- esteem in Pakistan. And we can learn a lot from Malaysia. And uh, I think uh, Malaysia with uh, ha, Pakistan with, has such natural resources that I think we should not have ended up in in a position that mm. we did. We are one of we are um, abound with natural resources and uh, uh, and human resources. And where we ended up, I think, uh, has uh, uh, really um, uh, forced us to think where we went wrong and how we can correct. Uh, 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 our situation. And I think how Malaysia did it over the years, Mm. two or three decades ago, it faced a very difficult situation. And now, as we see, it is uh, really doing very, very well economically. Uh, It is just like any other developed country. So Mm. I think we have a lot to learn from Malaysia. The worry is, I think it's not only a Pakistan challenge, but Malaysia is that, you know, we never learn from history, I think. That's one of the biggest things that I think we have to take because, you know, quote one of the former IMF officials say, the pattern is always the same. The funds blessing, the government goes on a shopping spree, takes over costly loans for expensive projects, thus builds up an even more debt and adds more inefficiencies, right? And then another crisis ensues. How do we make sure we learn the lessons 
lessons of the past so that we don't repeat this, mm-hmm. right, end up in this debt trap cycle again. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. But all, in the case of Pakistan, while these factors might be in play, and I'm sure they are, but also we have unfortunately been faced with uh, natural disaster, disasters. Mm-hmm. We faced one of the worst floods uh, in recent history in any country of the world, and our economy was totally devastated by the floods. Only by in 2005, we had one of the worst earthquakes in history, and more than 80,000 people were killed, and our infrastructure was devastated. And then we have to face the city. We are just not uh, living in isolation. We live in a region where we have China, uh, our great friend, uh, on one side, but we also have India and Afghanistan and Iran are our other neighbors. And it is a region which is beset with instability and political uh, issues among countries. Mm-hmm. So I think especially the situation in Afghanistan, it has really been uh, one of the key factors uh, which really hampered our progress. You talked about these three core neighbours, India, Afghanistan, China, all varying levels of relationship. You talk about China being this great friend of Pakistan. I guess the question is, a lot of that friendship is built on economic relations, right? With that $50 billion China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, CPEC. I think China has plenty to benefit from that with that strategic port in Guada, the Gulf of Oman, with also access to energy infrastructure. How has Pakistan benefited from this relationship with China? No, I think, as you said, uh, the the economic benefit, of course, uh, accrues on both sides. But the relationship between China and Pakistan, and also I think many of your listeners might not be aware, it is is a very long-standing, a very, very close relationship. I think we claim that it is one of the most strongest bilateral relationship between that can be between any two countries. It dates back to the 1960s. Um, Both countries have supported each other uh, whenever uh, the need arose. Uh, We call, both of us call ourselves Iron Brothers. So in addition to the economic content, which is is huge, uh, the political relationship between the two countries and uh, also the people-to-people contacts because uh, we are next-door neighbours. We have a, one of the best highways in the world connecting China and Pakistan, the Karakoram Highway, and many Malaysians now go mm. for tourism to Pakistan and travel on that road. Yes. And there are many thousands of Chinese who now come to Pakistan and work there. Mm. So it's a relationship that has that has not just evolved over the years. It has been a very mature and uh, and we are very proud of uh, Pakistan-China relations. There's no doubt that the political relationship is very strong, calling both of both of you iron brothers. I wonder though, just unpacking the economic one, how mature it is, because there are very cons- big concerns about the opaqueness of China debt. I mean, just to contrast, right, some expect the Chinese side that actually the debt component that actually China has with Pakistan, about $67 billion, the expectation is 7 to 8% interest per annum, whereas the Pakistan government claims that Chinese loans are repaid at a rate of 2%. How do we reconcile these numbers, right, about the difference between those two very different financial outcomes? No, I think it is this relationship is much more than that. I think it's much more than and the statistics. Of course, uh, the, the commercial aspect is there, but the eventual benefit that will accrue to Pakistan over the years, like already we have had a substantial improvement of our infrastructure. The Karakoram Highway has been upgraded into a most modern uh, motorway. 
Uh, I think it is comparable to any highway, the best highways in the world. And then it's not just the infrastructure of the of the roads, but also uh, industry and and there's so many aspects to it that the the actual benefit that will accrue will far outweigh any of these concerns. And I hope this relationship and benefits also apply to relations between Malaysia and Pakistan, the economic ties between both our nations. And I think it's grown from strength to strength without doubt. I think Malaysia is Pakistan's third largest trading partner. It's been growing. Um, I want to get your thoughts, though. How do we expand beyond palm oil? I think uh, while uh, the uh, the relations between Pakistan and Malaysia are very uh, old and people-to-people contacts date back to several centuries, I would say. The part of Pakistan that I come from in the north of Pakistan, the many I meet many people here who are third generation or second generation Malaysians, yes, but plenty. their grandparents <laughs> or their parents came from north of Pakistan. So the relationship is uh, much more than just uh, another, uh, again, a political relationship. But I think uh, although we have excellent political and diplomatic relations, uh, the economic content is lagging and is not commensurate with the level of political mm. relations. And that is my primary aim here, of having come here to enhance the economic content of bilateral relations. Our bilateral trade is $1.7, around $1.7 billion, which is way below it should be. And as you said, it has to grow beyond palm oil. Mm. And one area for sure is that proton investment in Pakistan, right? There has been really a lot of discussion about whether proton is maintaining its facility in Pakistan. We saw actually two, a couple of months back, they reopened it, but it kind of reflects perhaps the concerns about government regulations, the unfavorable economic conditions that's made it hard for Proton to actually penetrate the Pakistan market well. No, I think it started off very well. In fact, uh, I was ambassador to Qatar till last year and then I had to go back for a year and I, I, I had to get a new car and Proton was on the top of my list uh. and Proton, especially the X70 is exceedingly popular there. The Saga is also competing. But in the middle, I think about around 67 months ago, it, more than the regulations in Pakistan, it was supply of parts from Malaysia, which the I think the CKD kits or a, a, a technical item that uh, because of some issues here, uh, it's uh, it slowed down and uh, the production stopped for a while over there. But I think I was recently at Proton and I met with the high officials and was very, very impressed uh, with, uh, with the infrastructure here and what Proton is doing. So Proton is alive and kicking in Pakistan. It uh, It is quite popular. It has... Uh, uh, penetrated into the market very well. If, as, as I said, if you need to travel on the motorway in Pakistan, and since I was appointed as uh, ambassador here, so I kept a check on how many proton cars I see on the roads, mm. and I saw many, many. So I'm sure that uh, it will increase and uh, with time, and I hope to see a time when proton becomes the leading, uh, uh, you know, car in Pakistan. And so back to the original question, right? How do we expand beyond palm oil then? Where do you see are the trade opportunities that take place between Malaysia and Pakistan then? I think the uh, although the as we, uh, as I said the people to people people relationship is old and strong, but the geographical distance is a bit larger than say our, some of our 
potential competitors in certain commodities. So the cost of bringing items over to Malaysia from Pakistan is more than it is uh, from some other countries in the region. But there still was a lot more that could have been done. Uh, I think we are one of the leading providers of uh, vegetable, fruit and edible mm. items. Malaysia, as I understand and as I saw over the past uh, few months, I think rice became an issue here in the white rice a couple of months ago, now onions. And we are one of the biggest producers of these two items in the world. And similarly, there are other, I think, more than just exporting edible items to Malaysia. I think the issue of food security here is there. Mm -hmm. And I think we provide uh, and we would, be, we would welcome Malaysian investments into Pakistan. Okay, we're going to take a break and return with His Excellency Syed Hassan Raza Shah, High Commissioner of Pakistan to Malaysia. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Welcome back. On The Grill with me is His Excellency Slide Asan Raza Shah, High Commissioner of Pakistan to Malaysia. Now, Your Excellency, let's turn our attention to leadership in Pakistan in the world. You know, your founding father of Pakistan, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, called with faith, discipline and selfless devotion to duty, there's nothing worthwhile that you cannot achieve. If you actually look at the current situation in Pakistan today, what do you think is the biggest challenge in Pakistan's leadership? Is it the lack of faith, discipline or selfless devotion to duty? No, I think it's it's more than that. I think uh, the contemporary international situation and what is happening around the world, not just, uh, first of all, in our immediate neighborhood, the situation in Afghanistan, which has been affecting us since 1979. We have had more than 4 million, imagine the number, 4 million refugees since 1979, and mm -hmm. we have been hosting them. Then the issue that cropped up out of the situation in Afghanistan, terrorism that had nothing to do with us, we became one of its biggest victims. And more recently, the situation in Ukraine affecting, you know, the uh, the issues of inflation and so many other issues that. So it's not just uh, our own domestic uh, policies that could be to blame. They are much it's a much more bigger issue at play. And we talk about these two neighbors, uh, Afghanistan and Indo India, but let's focus on Afghanistan. As you say, right, the number of terror attacks have been rising substantially, right, especially this year, with the Taliban taking over neighboring Afghanistan. How is Pakistan really taking concrete efforts to stem this wave of terrorist attacks? Yeah, unfortunately, the number of attacks has risen uh, sadly and fortunately since the Taliban uh, took reins of power in Kabul. Uh, the issue is, uh, while we do not blame them for this, but the issue is uh, the terrorist group uh, known as Tariqe Taliban Pakistan, which initially, originally claimed to be an offshoot of the Afghan Taliban, but now works independently and has a much bigger agenda of uh, creating a, a, an emirate of their own <clears throat> Uh, ilk and, and what they claim to be the real Islamic state. And they, they live in Afghanistan. They were eradicated from Pakistan. And uh, unfortunately, they come across the border and have mm. been some, there has been some rise in the number of mm. terrorist attacks. But uh, I think they were dealt with severely and efficiently and promptly. And uh, we have uh, conveyed this to the government in Kabul that uh, while we consider them to be 
a friendly dispensation. I think they, it is their responsibility to rein in these people or hand them over to, to Pakistan. And I think there has been uh, some progress on that. But point. have they really been handing over people to Pakistan? How tangible has been that progress with the Afghanistan government? Uh, the, the negotiations uh, continue and there has been a very constructive engagement. And I think this issue, I hope that this will be resolved uh, very soon. Mm. Let's turn to attention uh, on Pakistan-Indian Indian relations because that has been a uh, 50-70 relation, right? Mm. There has been fraught with plenty of conflicts, although it's thawed in the past, you know, two to three years. Help us characterize how the relationship stands at the moment. I think the, the, the bilateral relation uh, the only there is only one issue that uh, affects bilateral relations, and that is the issue of uh, Kashmir. Kashmir. Uh, uh, was, as per the United Nations Security Council resolutions, the people of Kashmir have to be given the right of self-determination and to decide whether they want to join India or Pakistan. And that right has never been given to them. Mm. And that is the essence of the uh, issue between India and Pakistan. And once that issue is resolved, there is no other major outstanding issue between the two countries. So it is the issue of Kashmir that needs to be resolved in accordance with international law and the United Nations Security Council resolutions. Do you see any parallels that lessons for this tension and conflict that can take place with the Palestinian-Gaza-Israeli conflict here? I think Palestine and Kashmir are are very, very similar um, issues. And I am very heartened to see that many people in Malaysia, our brothers and sisters, they realize that and much more than I see in other countries. It's the same. It is the issue of uh, uh, the right of self-determination. It is the issue of occupation by another force of illegal occupation of the land uh, which belongs to the Palestinians in the case of Palestine and the Kashmiris in the case of Kashmir. It is an issue where, again, the other similarity is uh, uh, the policy of the occupying state to bring in other people, outsiders, to come and have uh, domiciles and the right to occupy land uh, in both these reg regions. The loss of life is very comparable. 80,000 Kashmiri civilians have been killed uh, since 1989 uh, in their, uh, by occupation forces. And what happened, while what is happening in Gaza right now is unparalleled and mm. one of the biggest tragedies that we can imagine uh, in recent years. But what is happening in Kashmir is also uh, very, very comparable. So, yes, the parallel is there, and uh, Kashmir is as big an issue, uh, we feel, as is Palestine, and we hope that both the people of Palestine and Kashmir get their right to self-determination. But the challenge is that in Kashmir, it's still an ongoing dispute, but it's an unresolved tension that you still... But it's still stable in terms of its relationship, right? How can we replicate this model then to make sure that we can replicate that in Palestine, Israel? Because it seems like there seems to be an ongoing war with continuous death taking place there, right? I think it's not stable. I think uh, what happened is that initially India's from 1948 till 2019 had given Kashmir a special status or 
of their own constitution, mm-hmm. uh, sort of implying that the final determination still remains uh, in uh, Kashmir was not considered uh, an, just another state of India, but was given a very a special status. That status was taken away in, in 2019. And since then, and uh, um, uh, now only very recently, the Indian Supreme Court, unfortunately, validated that decision by the, by the Indian government. The stability is not there. I think the Kashmiri people continue to fight for their right of self-determination. There are killings uh, very very often there uh, killings of um, unarmed civilians it's just that the news cycle is such that there's so much happening around the world that the it has news. been buried in the all the other mm. news. yes i see well one news that i think was not buried was the devastating floods that took place in pakistan i think last year which were really terrible i think submerged nearly one third of pakistan right and you took a very and pakistan took a very strong leadership position to push for this loss and damage fund you know which actually did transpire in cop 28 were you disappointed with the outcome of cop 28 that actually the size and scope of that fund was so limited and small? We shall continue our efforts. Uh, The point that Pakistan is trying to make with our uh, friends around the world is uh, we we have paid a big price of global warming. We contribute less than 1% of uh, global carbon emissions, but the effect on us is much greater in magnitude than what we contribute. And I think this is what we are trying to convince the rest of the world. We shall continue our, our efforts. And uh, referring to the coming back to the floods, uh, I must say we thank our brothers and sisters in Malaysia. I think when the floods struck Pakistan last year, uh, the contribution from the government of Malaysia and more importantly, the people of Malaysia, uh, I think we uh, we cannot thank our brothers and sisters enough. Mm. And uh, we also... Uh, hope that uh, uh, this this people-to-people contact will strengthen even further. And strengthening this people-to-people contact is critical. And I think one tie that really binds both countries is that we are both members of the Commonwealth. We are both members of the OIC. What do you think Malaysia and Pakistan can do together to push, you know, for different reforms all around the world then? I think uh, it... Um, the relationship between the two countries is much closer and much stronger than many people realize. I think the people, the, as I keep saying, the people-to-people contact, the bonding between the people. You would be surprised to know that Malaysians are now have emerged as the biggest, largest number of tourists to Pakistan. Such a large number of tourists are going from Malaysia to Pakistan. The number is ever increasing. The number of visa that we are issuing to tourists. And I had thought that because of the winter there now, when there will be snow in the north of Pakistan, the numbers will go down, but they have not. Uh, so I think, as you said, in the OIC, the the leadership role that Malaysian leadership has historically taken and continues to take on issues of importance to the Islamic world and in the Commonwealth and in the bilateral relations. I think the leadership of Malaysia, current prime minister and previous prime ministers have had a very good relationship, very strong bonding with Pakistan. And I hope that this will continue. Your Excellency, thank you for spending your time with us on the Breakfast Grill. His Excellency Syed Hassan Raza Shah, High Commissioner of Pakistan to Malaysia. I'm Philip C, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network.
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.